For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Emily Hirsch, and we're going to explore how to use Facebook ads to crush your next product launch. You're going to love this interview. By the way, if you want to reach me, I am at Stelzner on Instagram, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And if you're new to this podcast, hit that subscribe button. I've got some amazing content coming your way. Here's Michael's tip of the week. If you're in the business of getting a lot of things done and it feels like there's just too many things on your plate or the people that you're working with or that are working with you have way too much on their plate, then I want to introduce something to you that will help you prioritize what ought to be worked on. And it's really two simple questions. First of all, is it urgent or not? And secondly, is it necessary or nice to have? Now, in an ideal world, you always prioritize things that are urgent and necessary. If it doesn't meet both of those criteria, then it does not need to be at the top of your to-do list. Now, other people are going to tell you it's urgent and necessary, and this is where you need to challenge them. Is it really necessary? Is there another simpler way we could get this accomplished? Or is it just truly nice to have? And this is one of those dialogues that you need to have with yourself and you need to have with other people. Because oftentimes, Everything seems to be urgent and necessary, but when you truly analyze it, you will discover that indeed it is not urgent and necessary. Someone else thinks it's urgent, but it's not really necessary. It's nice to have. Now, if you want to really wrap your mind around this concept some more, I do recommend my friend Rory Vaden's book called Procrastinate on Purpose. Yes, I said procrastinate on purpose. It's an amazing book about getting things done by procrastinating on things that are not urgent and are not necessary. So I hope you can take these tips and make something amazing out of them. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Emily Hirsch. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Emily Hirsch. Emily is the founder of Hirsch Marketing, an ad agency that specializes in helping influencers and coaches sell their digital products. She's also host of the Hirsch Marketing Underground podcast 
and her course is called Ignite Marketing. Ignite Marketing for Influencers. I needed to add a little dash in there in my verbal things. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So today, Emily and I will explore how to use Facebook ads to generate more sales during your next launch. And if you're selling digital products online, you're launching. Everybody's always launching. So I'm really excited, Emily, to dig in on this with you because I know you've got some really awesome wisdom to share with us. But before we go there, I would love to hear your story. How did you get into Facebook ads? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah. So I've had my company for about five years and I actually started just as a virtual assistant. It was a way for me to get into the online world doing admin stuff. And I said yes to everything when I first started and learned self-taught, you know, everything from ClickFunnels to Infusionsoft to Entreport. And in that, I started doing Facebook ads for my clients and bought some courses, listened to podcasts, listen to podcasts of people who are now my clients, which is so fun, but taught myself everything, started doing Facebook ads and realized that was really my zone of genius was marketing and the customer journey and looking at the strategies. So went all in with that. And about three years ago, started building my team, which is what pushed me to create um, the process that we're create, we're going to talk about today because I had to figure out how do I take what I'm doing kind of intuitively and teach other people how to do it to serve our clients. And so three years ago, I you know, hired my first person and learned a ton in those three years. And now I have a team of 24 people um, and we serve over 55 clients are on our roster right now. Okay. So that's a crazy story in a very short period of time. <laughs> so just let's just go back a little bit. So when you, five years ago, you started as a VA mm-hmm. helping, I'm assuming entrepreneurs. Is that right? Yeah. And I dove into the digital entrepreneurs. So people with courses and services, I was in, you know, free Facebook groups in that environment, which is what introduced me to all of this, this whole world. My guess is you were doing Facebook ads for some of them, right? Is that kind of how you got your feet wet? Yeah. Then I started doing Facebook ads for them. Exactly. Yep. So when did you know that you got to shift and go all in on Facebook? Like what was that moment for you? It was when I actually ran ads for probably the biggest campaign I'd run, which was a digital summit. And we got like 10,000 people signed up and it was so successful, like 50 cent leads, which was like four years ago. It's very hard to do that now. But it was like, I realized the power in that of, wow, this is something that's more valuable and better than trading my time for hours doing admin work or VA type tasks. And that I could really take this to the next level and impact a lot more people. And I saw the impact of that summit that had some amazing speakers and I got to run the ads for it. And so that was kind of the moment I was like, okay, I want to do more of this. It took me a little bit longer to fully do it and actually start saying no to VA opportunities. Cause you, as you know, as an entrepreneur, like, especially in the beginning, it's hard to say no to anything. Right. So I had to learn that lesson and start saying like, no, I'm only doing this, but it was that summit in that moment that I was like, okay, I really want to do more of this. So who was your first big success story as far as a customer that you can publicly tell us about? I can't say any of the big names publicly. I can say actually that we've run the B-School launches. And so that was like the first client that I remember the day that we got the email from their team. And if people don't know B-School, who is behind B-School? Like tell everybody. Marie Forleo. So she's, yeah, one of the original like, B-School was business school and she's done it for eight or nine years now. And so I'll remember the day that I got that email of like their team reaching out and I was like, is this real? (laughs) You know, is this real that this client's interested in working with us? And so that was one of the first really big launches that 
definitely first big launch, especially live launch, which I know we're going to get into that today, that we worked on and really worked on that live launch strategy with them. So you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs at Marie's level, and it sounds like you're under an NDA with some of them, so you cannot say who they are. Is that correct? Yeah. So from there, we've done several like eight-figure launches in several big influencers that people know. Awesome. The reason why I wanted to throw that out there is because everybody, I want you to understand, like Emily is the secret sauce behind some of the people that you all know. (laughs) Yeah. People I've had on my podcast and uh, it's really exciting to have you here. So what I would love to talk about now is a lot of my listeners are not sure whether Facebook now is a smart platform for them to invest in because, you know, a few years ago when you got started, there weren't as many people advertising on Facebook. It wasn't as competitive of an environment. Now the costs are going up and they're just wondering whether or not it's still a viable platform for them to launch on. And what do you want to say to marketers who are questioning whether it's still something worth consideration for their launches? Yeah. I mean, even though cost has definitely gone up in the last you know, three years ago is different than it is today. I still believe and see every day the data behind it being the most inexpensive advertising choice to reach more of your ideal customer during your launch. So with organic content and just posting your launch, I mean, you only get to go as far as your audience is big. So, you know, your list and you're limited to that whenever you launch. And so with Facebook ads, you know, you're able to reach however many more people you can reach. And it really depends on the budget you spend, but you're able to just expand that reach. And if you've done a launch before, you know, or if you've watched a launch, like there's so much work that goes into the launch itself and the content and what you're going to put out there and how you're going to connect with the audience that limiting yourself to organic or, you know, trying to play this small game on maybe another advertising platform, you just won't make the splash that you can make using Facebook and Instagram ads. And I've, I've honestly tested, you know, Google ads and YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram still is the cheapest, mostly because everybody's on it. You know, most people's ideal audience is on Facebook and Instagram, and it's an inexpensive way to reach thousands more people than you could reach otherwise. And some of your clients are obviously already have really big email lists and really big audiences, yet they're still using Facebook, right? Right. And Plenty of your clients probably don't have what Marie Forleo has. And Facebook ads are absolutely necessary in those circumstances, right? Exactly. They don't have the huge list and the huge brand that that some of your clients have built. So it becomes even more, I would think, essential for some of the smaller influencers. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you don't have that large audience, which like you said, they're still using Facebook ads with that audience, but you've got to figure out how to get the people to look at the content one way or another. Right. So you've worked with uh, a lot of different customers and what are some of the mistakes that people seem to make or the biggest mistake maybe that a lot of influencers or coaches or, you know, people that are selling their insight, what are the biggest mistakes they seem to make when they're doing advertising? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't do enough pre-planning and have that pre-launch phase when you build up excitement around your launch. You start gathering leads in a really strategic way. So for example, a lot of the launches we do, we'll start actually running strategic ads for it a couple of months, sometimes one to two months before the launch itself happens and growing the list with leads that's 
ideally your ideal customer for your launch. And then planning out every phase of your launch. Most of the time in the launch, you have multiple things. Maybe you have a video series and then a webinar or you have a challenge or different things happening. And so each phase of the launch requires certain ads and certain messaging with those ads. And so the mistake people make is they sometimes go into a launch like, okay, we're going to run ads. We're launching in a couple of weeks. And like, let's just run some general ads to our webinar or general ads to our video series. And it's so much more powerful to get into the layers and then also have that pre-launch phase. And so a lot of times we'll look at the sales number for the launch itself and say, okay, where does our list need to be before we start launching in order to achieve that sales number? And we'll work backwards there. Like I said, sometimes one to two months beforehand in actually planning that out. So when you say list, you mean email list, right? Is that what you're yeah, referring to? Yes. So what I'm hearing you say is a lot of people that launch, they just decide they're going to launch and they plan for their launch and maybe it's a week or two weeks or three weeks and then they're done. And what you're saying is, hey, you should be working a long time in advance to generate new people onto your list so that I'm assuming you can eventually start marketing to them through other channels, right? Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. And it's really like one to two months. You don't want to have a massive gap because then you obviously start to lose people. So you're building up this excitement before the launch. But exactly, you're, you're building that up so that you have people who have trust with you. What you do leading up to a launch and kind of in between launches is sometimes more important than the launch itself. Yeah, I love that. Okay. So you have your own unique methodology and I would love to kind of talk about it at a very high level of what it is. Well, actually, before I go there, if there's any other mistakes that you want to talk about, feel free to talk about them before you answer my next question. But I would love to understand your method. So what is your method at a high level? And if there was some other mistakes you wanted to mention, feel free. Otherwise, let's just go right into your your methodology. Yeah, no, those were the main mistakes. So let's go into that. So I call it the Hirsch process. Like I said, I created this because I had to learn how to train my team. So that's how it originated. But it's five steps. And here's like the overview. So the first step is strategize. It's the foundational work that you'll do before you run ads. It's setting the foundation, which we can go into more detail on that. But it's planning the budget, planning the strategy, planning the, the messaging around it. The next step is your brand awareness and your visibility. And a lot of people like skip over this because they think, oh, I'll just post on social media and do my organic content. But you can actually be strategic and have your organic content and your posts and you know your videos or your podcasts or your blogs and turn those into ads with a very small amount of budget so that you're also growing that what we call a warm audience. People watching your videos, people downloading your podcast, viewing your website, and th that can be used for future retargeting. So that's step two. Step three is lead generation. So that is usually, especially in a live launch in a digital product or service space, is where 80-90% of your ad budget goes. And it's getting those leads into the webinar, into the video series, into whatever that main experience is. The fourth step is sales. And so that's where you create strategic retargeting ads. So you're sending people to your offer and to those actions you want them to take after maybe they've watched your webinar or visited your video series pages or some examples. And then the fifth step is scale and optimize. And in my opinion, you're always doing one of those, especially in an ongoing marketing campaign. But you're constantly coming back to your numbers and saying, okay, what is working here in this strategy? What can we do to improve? What are action items based on all of these stats? 
And can we justify spending more money? And if we spend more money, how much should we make from that? And so that's the fifth step that you're always coming back to and kind of analyzing those numbers. So at a high level, you've got strategize first, and then you've got brand awareness. Third, you've got lead generation, then you've got sales, and then you've got scaling and optimization. So let's start with the strategize thing. Uh, not thing, but let's start with the strategize <laughs> component. What do we need to be thinking about when we're thinking about strategizing? Yeah. So there's three main pieces. First, do you have a very clear definition and understanding of your ideal customer? And a lot of people when they hear that, they're like, yeah, I got that. You know, I know that. But I hear it so often people are like, I thought I knew my ideal customer. And then I started, you know, really questioning it. And I was just barely scratching the surface. And it's critical in your marketing that you can go, you know, three layers deeper than anybody else on the newsfeed with your ad copy, with your hook, with your webinar title and all of those things. So making sure you're really clear on who that ideal customer is so that everything you put out that's free content or your lead generation, it's attracting the customer because our ultimate goal is obviously to sell what we're offering. And so we want to make sure there's no disconnect in attracting that person. So that's the first thing. Wait, real quick. On, yep. on the clear definition of the ideal customer, uh-huh. like you said, a lot of people think they know who it is, but it turns out they don't. So what what questions ought they ask themselves when they're thinking about who that ideal customer is to really make sure they understand who it is? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times it's just like encouraging yourself to go deeper, but being able to define things like what are their biggest frustrations? Hmm. What is the the dream that they have, this person that they want, the thing they don't have, but they need? What are their biggest fears? And sometimes people say, you know, at a very like high level or technical talk, but I encourage you to actually define those things with like, what would they say to their friend if they were standing in line at the coffee shop? Like, what would they describe their frustration in that type of context? Because I'll hear often somebody who speaks and, you know, they're an expert at what they do. So they're like, an example coming to my mind is somebody who's in the health and wellness space is like, well, people want, you know, to test their hormones or they want this. And it's like these highly technical terms. It's like, no, they actually just want to feel better or they don't want to feel sick or they want to lose weight. Like what's the actual thing they want and the words they would use because that's needs to show up in your marketing. I love that. This is the key, everybody. I mean, I'm a copywriter and I don't know if you know that, Emily, but when you can use their language and your copy, you are going to greatly increase the likelihood that they perceive your message for them. Right. And this is so hard for people to wrap their mind around, especially if they are used to using acronyms and certain phrases that maybe they and their team understand, but their customers are like, huh? I don't know what that means. Right. Exactly. And that's where you got to, you got to survey them. You got to talk to them. You got to, you got to watch the messages they're putting on your posts and the emails that they're sending you. And you you almost need to create a little library of that language because that's going to be really important, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I highly recommend having a document with that exact language. I, I encourage a lot of our students to actually do interviews with potential customers to get that language to then pull that into their marketing. It's it's critical. And a lot like most people think they have it and they don't. They don't. They can go way deeper. Perfect. So you said there were three things. The first one is uh, clearly identifying who that ideal customer is. What was the next yep. thing? So the next part of the strategize component is creating the strategy and doing that after you've identified the ideal customer because your strategy needs to be created for them. And another mistake people will make is they'll see a cool strategy out there or a coach will encourage it or a program and they'll want to replicate that exact strategy without taking into consideration like 
their audience? You know, do they have time to participate in a challenge? Should you do a long webinar? Will they sit and watch it? And those little things that matter so much. And so the next piece is making sure you have that really clearly defined, you know, for a launch, like what are all the steps going to be? How long is it going to be? What does the emails look like and the nurturing and the pre-launch piece? And so that strategy and making sure that that's tied into the customer that you just defined um, when you go to create it. So that's the second piece. Love it. The third piece is defining your budget, defining what success means for you. So another thing a lot of people do is they will just guess, like they'll just throw up ads. They'll be like, okay, I'll spend, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever they decide and just kind of see what happens. And I'm constantly encouraging people not to do that. And I want you to first define, you know, what's your sales goal? If you're launching or you, you have a, a funnel or a strategy you're running, what's the goal? How much money do you want to make? How, and then how, what does that mean? How much product do you need to sell to make that money? And then working backwards. Okay, if that's the case, you know, how many leads do you need to get signed up for your webinar if 2% of all the leads are going to convert? Mm. And if you're going to pay $4 cost per lead, okay, there's your budget. And so instead of just throwing a budget out there, do it based on metrics at each step of the funnel. And I always say you have to define success before you start your ads because otherwise, how do you know if they're successful? So at least if you put out some metric of like, my goal is to pay $4 cost per lead and convert 2% of all my leads. And then you go to run ads, especially if it's your first time, you have something to compare once you run. And so that way you're not just throwing something out there and like, okay, we'll see how it works. Like Facebook's got to optimize. I hear that so much and it doesn't have to be that way. So the third piece of that strategize is defining those numbers and those expectations ahead of time. And oftentimes what happens is people are like, well, I want to make $100,000 in my launch. And then they're like, and I'm willing to spend $5,000. And then they see the reality of like what that actually can get them and what (laughs) they would need to spend to achieve the sales goal, which at least you're having that realization before you go try to have the $100,000 launch and fail and feel terrible about it. So you're setting yourself up for so much more success doing that. Do you recommend cost per lead or cost per sale or per acquisition? You know, like, for example, you can run a a webinar and you could get a lot of leads, but the actual sales might cost you substantially more. How do you recommend? It's going to vary, obviously, depending on the client. But what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a metric you should know. And you should know, you know, how much are you willing to pay cost per acquisition? You know, if they say, I think it was Dan Kennedy's like original statement, but whoever can pay the most cost per acquisition will win in business because if you look at it that way. So absolutely. But you still also like that's kind of defined by, okay, out of my leads, I think I can convert this many, this percentage of my leads and my cost per lead. And so you need to be looking at all of those stats. And then once you run ads and you have the data, then you might say, okay, well, actually I'm willing to pay $7 cost per lead because I'm converting 3% of all my leads on the back end and it's, you know, it's working and it's okay Mm -hmm. if I pay a little bit more cost per lead. Right. And of course, if your product is expensive, you'd be willing to pay more as well. Right. So if you're selling something that's a hundred dollars versus a thousand dollars, I would imagine you'd be willing. And it's an online product that has a lot of margin. You could pay a higher cost per acquisition and therefore outbid other people on the auction. Right. Exactly. Perfect. Let's talk about brand awareness. Uh, that's the second part of your your strategy, right? Yep. Yeah. So visibility and brand awareness is basically combining what you would think is social media, organic content with a small amount of your ad budget, like three to 4% of your ad budget. You actually promote 
that content to build trust and credibility with your audience. I usually recommend it's like one form. It's either your podcast or it's videos directly on Facebook or a blog post, whatever your like main way of putting content out there is. And then you actually put budget behind it and target cold traffic, people who don't know about your brand have never come into contact with it before with the goal of getting them to consume that valuable content. And then they can end up in our warm audience buckets of people have been to your website, people have watched your videos, people who have engaged with your Facebook or Instagram, and you can actually then target those down the, you know, on the next step. And so this is small amount of budget, but creating content and then making sure that that content is strategically chosen for that ideal customer we defined and making sure it's cohesive. So if you're launching, for example, you would maybe do a month of like weekly Facebook lives and the topics would all kind of relate and lead to the launch itself. And so you're attracting that person who then is going to be interested in signing up for your video series or for your webinar. And the one difference of just organic social media is that you're spending some money on it. And people don't normally see that and see the benefit of growing your warm audience. But it's really critical that you continually do that. This is fascinating. So what I'm hearing you say is if you publish a video on Facebook or you go live on Facebook or you have a link to an article of useful content, something along those lines that you know is strategically designed to be attracting the audience and warming them up for what's going to be your launch, you ought to take just a few percentage points, maybe 3% of your budget and target cold traffic to those individuals, basically because they're, first of all, they don't know who you are, right? So better to target something free to them. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. Yeah. You're building that trust. And a lot of it with a launch happens before the launch. So it happens the one to two months before you actually start launching. Because then what you can do is use those audiences to target to... Let's say you're doing a webinar, target them to your webinar. And then most likely you're going to get a cheaper cost per lead, but also even more importantly, a more valuable lead because they've already consumed your content in some way and began to build that trust and that credibility with you. So they're more likely to buy then on that webinar. So of the people you target, those that engage with your organic content can be an audience that you can later target for the other stuff is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And there's all different audiences on Facebook. I mean, you can target people who have watched 25% of your videos, 75% of your videos, people who have visited web pages, specific web pages, engaged with your Facebook ads, sent you a DM on Instagram. There's all these different audiences you can create and they're, you know, your warm audience buckets that you can then target. Have you found certain kinds of content like non-live versus live versus the written word, whether it be a post on Facebook or a post on your website seems to create more engageable traffic that you could later target or is it highly variable depending on the audience? I would say for the most part, the top two I see are video and podcast, obviously, because that's just a next level of connection when you're hearing someone's voice or seeing them speak. Hmm. Recently on Facebook, you know, shorter videos do better. People don't really sit there and watch a 20, 30 minute video. So more like a three to five minute quick tip video is doing well. 
and then podcasts obviously do well. And the key with podcasts is you've got to send people to your website, the the show notes page on your website, because you need to get that pixel. Oh, so that you have the retargeting capability. Exactly. Yeah. You can't send them to iTunes because you won't get the... I was going to ask that. You totally, yeah. you totally... Okay, got <laughs> it. So the idea is you're sending them essentially to an article, even though the article contains your podcast player in there, right? Yep. And then once they get there, they'll decide to listen with the embeddable player or go and click on Google or Spotify or whatever, yep. right? Um, exactly. Very, very interesting. Ah, I like that a lot. And, yeah. you know, I've never really ever considered something like that. And some people are like, oh, that's really fascinating. And it really is true that people who listen to podcasts tend to listen to lots of podcasts, right? So once they subscribe and they're, you know, you're in their ear, like we are right now together in so many people's ears on a regular basis, it does establish that intimacy that's pretty powerful. So really, really fascinating that that audience is super, super targetable. And it makes sense because it's a longer amount of time we spend together, right? Like on Facebook, you're talking about seconds, right? Or minutes, but we're talking like many, many minutes in the case of a podcast. So yeah, very powerful. Okay. So uh, anything else on visibility and brand awareness or should we move on to lead generation? No, let's jump into lead generation. So Yeah. So people with a digital product and service business, this is where majority of your budget will go during a launch or with a funnel. This is where you're getting people into that first step, whether it's a video series or a webinar or a challenge, you're getting people to register for that free experience. It's super critical that you obviously have a strong lead generation experience, such as a webinar or a video series that's going to really lead up to your offer well. So when you're planning this stage, that's the important piece to consider is like, what is the type of content or the title or or what I need to share in this experience So it's a perfect lead up to my offer. And you kind of have to walk this fine line of not giving away so much that by the end of the launch experience that they're so overwhelmed and they, you know, need to go work and do stuff and they don't care about the offer, but then giving enough value and making sure that the next step is your offer in what you gave. And so whenever we launch with a client or we launch ourselves, like a lot of thought goes into the actual content in this experience. This is where 80 to 90% of your ad budget is going to go. This is where you need, you know, tons of people signed up and the content has to be strategic. Yes, it has to be valuable, but it also has to make sure it leads and it almost exposes their problems throughout it and makes it so that your offer is such a no-brainer by the end of the experience. Also, your main, you know, goal with this is to get people to engage during this time because you can get, you know, thousands of people to sign up for your video series, but if they don't watch it, it's not going to do its job. So during this time, it's it's critical in the lead generation stage that you get enough leads in and that they actually consume the content. So they show up to the webinar, they watch the videos because you need them to take that step really to then get to your offer, you know, in the next step. So that's the main piece. And then the other piece to this that's critical is making sure you know how many leads you should get in. Kind of like I said from strategize step one is if this is my sales goal, what's my lead goal? And mm-hmm. so not going into this with just like, let me just see how many I can get, but having a goal in mind to know, okay, if I'm trying to hit this sales goal, I think I need to get about this many leads and and have that, you know, from the start. So you know how much you need to spend every day. With a launch, you're usually battling like a really short promo window. 
So I see this mistake all the time. And it's something I have to train my team on when we have new team members come on is usually with a webinar, a live webinar, you have like seven days to promote it. So if you start out on day one with like a really low budget and you just like start very slowly out the gate, you're behind immediately. Hmm. And it's hard to then catch up. So having that lead goal which then tells you like, okay, daily, I need this many leads and I'm going to spend this much every day and, you know, scheduling those campaigns. So they do that is so critical with a live launch. Is there a limit to how much you can scale up your ads every day to have it be effective? I guess we're going to get there eventually, right? With the scaling side of it. So yeah, I can, yeah, talk about it then. I mean, it varies because you, it depends. You could have like seven campaigns or you could have like two and it depends what you start them out at. But usually you can scale ads about 10 to 15% a day, but then you have to watch like, okay, did it go up in cost when I Mm. did that and monitor it? So you just don't want to start out way too slow on day one. And I see that happen really often. So you got to give it a bigger budget than what you expected because you have a short window, presumably, right? So that's the idea. Now, you mentioned video series, webinars, and challenges. I remember back in the day, quote unquote, it was this three video series that was all the rage, right? And then it's the webinar slash master class. Now it seems to be the challenges. From your experience, what seems to generate the most amount of leads these days? Yeah, that, I mean, it varies. I think that our standard and like core launch strategy is the three-part videos with the webinar as the fourth piece Mm. that does really well. Now, challenges are tough because sometimes they can knock it out of the park and then sometimes they don't. And that's where considering your audience is super important because there's going to be audiences of people who would never want to participate in a challenge because they don't have time. You know, they're not at that stage of their life or their business. And then there's audiences that will eat it up and they'll love it and they'll participate in that challenge. So that's one that people can make the mistake of trying to replicate somebody else's strategy and totally mess it up with their own audience. But I'm a big fan of the the video series to the webinar because it gives a lot of lead up of content. Like it's usually a couple of weeks and then you can do Q&As in between and you're just trying to nurture and build that relationship with audiences. But I think as far as pitching the offer, I like to do that on a webinar, a, a big webinar training that everybody hopefully, you know, signs up for and attends and that being like the biggest push in a launch. When you're collecting leads, traditionally you're collecting an email, but I am seeing more people collecting a phone number and or communicating over messenger. And I'm curious what your experience is, email versus phone, text message, SMS versus messenger. What's your thoughts on on which of those communication mediums is the most effective these days? Yeah, so our, our way of normally doing it that I think works the best is it's the core opt-in is an email and then there's a optional piece of adding your phone number when you're in that opt-in box. And usually about half the people will do it. And then on the thank you page, I love putting mini chat and you have to have an incentive, like get your workbook or Mm. um, some sort of content that you get. If you click that button that goes to mini chat, I do see a lot of success with mini chat supporting with like getting live attendees on a webinar, just sending them a message right when you go live. We usually see like 50 to 60% of people will take that additional mini chat option. So that way you're really getting all three, but I still think email should be the core piece. And then the other two are optional and hopefully you get a large percentage of people who take you up on that. For people that are traditional email people and they want to try to use some sort of an SMS service, do you have a recommended software? Like ManyChat is ideal for obviously traditional Mm -hmm. Facebook Messenger stuff, but what are you using for the telephone side of it? Is there any tech that you would recommend to anybody? 
for the SMS message? Yeah, I don't know all the options. I think like whatever will integrate because we use Entreport and integrate it through there. So whatever is going to integrate easily with your email provider, email software Got is it. the best option, which Perfect. you would probably ask them like, what's the top option that's going to work with my email software? Because you want it to ideally be all in there. Perfect. Okay. But you're not necessarily using messenger ads here. You're usually driving traffic to a sales page with these lead generation yep. ads, right? Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the next stage, which is the sales side of it, right? So I'm assuming this is when you're open carts, quote unquote, yep. and talk to us a little bit about what's involved in this stage. Yeah. So this is when, yes, you'd have the open cart, you have the urgency of, you know, maybe seven days that you have available that you can sign up. You might have some bonuses that show up in there and disappear throughout that period. So as far as an ads perspective and marketing perspective, of course, the urgency is super important in all of your messaging. And then I love this phase because you can do really fun strategic retargeting. So what we'll do is plan out a bunch of different ads during this phase. So you'll have maybe one ad that's specific to a bonus that you drop in the middle of that open cart period. You'll have a, you know, a general maybe sales page uh, ad that has a video and it's going to your sales ad. You'll use testimonial ads and then you'll be able to layer in even like deeper retargeting. So my favorite ad is the abandoned cart, abandoned sales page ad. And especially in the digital space, like doing a video where you're saying, you know, hey, I know you were super close to signing up for this program or whatever your offer is. And you, you know, you're right on the fence. I know it's a big decision. Here's, you know, basically knocking down their objections. Here's why you should sign up and the cart's closing soon. We've had like thousand percent ROI return on those type of ads because it's such a small budget. I mean, you're dealing with an audience of people who have already made it as far as sometimes your checkout page mm. and then abandon. And by adding in that video where they see your face, you're telling them like, hey, I know you're on the fence and sending them back to buy. It's just super effective and it doesn't cost very much money. So with sales ads and planning them out, I recommend having like four to five different kind of scenarios that you're creating versus just having like one general sales ad during that seven day open cart because you're also dealing with a smaller audience. So you don't want to have them see the same ad for seven days. Like that won't work. Right. So you want to have different ads that you can kind of release throughout that seven days that hit all different objections. That's why I'm saying, you know, testimonials, a video of you, maybe like a fun gift or something. And then those retargeting ads of people who have even taken the next step to go to the sales page or go to the cart are also really important. Now, you mentioned the bulk of your budget is going to be spent on the lead generation side. And I would imagine a lot of people probably skip or don't really think through the the sales side of it, which is the remarketing to the people that, you know, were part of your challenge or watched your video series or signed up for your webinar, right? And maybe partly because these things are so complex. But what percentage of the budget are you spending on this smaller audience who, you know, obviously presumably participated in whatever the heck it is you offered. Yeah. So it's like five to 10% of your budget that would go here. And it's obviously going to be small. It's going to be as big as that audience is. So if you only spend $2,000 on the front end, you're going to have a super small audience to retarget. Hmm. So it's, you know, going to be that small amount, but usually I say five to 10%. So 80 to 90 goes to your lead generation and then five to 10% to your sales and three to 5% to your visibility. So you can kind of figure out where it fits for you, but it's a small amount. 
But what is great is you can get such a huge return. And I always tell people like you've already done so much work to get the leads here and paid for them and got them, you know, as far as the webinar or the sales page or wherever it is, finish it off with a really powerful ad to get them to finish that action. You know, that main thing you want them to do. As far as a testimonials ad, how do you recommend those be structured? Because I would imagine there's a billion different ways you can do it, right? Uh, you yeah. can have a video, you can have all sorts of things, but what's your best practice on testimonial ads? Yeah, as of right now, what we really like doing is like a real ad where you have three or four testimonials featured. I think it's important that if you're doing a video, don't just like slap up a five minute long testimonial interview, like try to pull out a really important clip because people just won't watch it. Also doing like a graphic with a quote with their face is very effective. Um, as long as it shows their face and clearly pulls out like an important statement. So whether that's in a video clip or a graphic, you should test both. I mean, both can work and do work. But I think that's the key is that you don't make it really hard for the person to pull out the important information from that testimonial. Now, when you said like three or four testimonials in one ad, are you talking like a carousel or are you talking about like a long text yeah. ad or what are we talking about here? Like a carousel ad, you'd still have body copy, but a carousel ad where you're featuring three or four testimonials. Now, I heard that Facebook is no longer penalizing for the 20% text rule. So I would imagine this makes it easier to throw the testimonial into a graphic. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. That is true. Do you need the first graphic to be kind of not so graphical or do you just formatted and with, with the text and the picture and all that. I mean, how do you make it look? Help me visualize this. Obviously we're talking about this, but nobody can see it. Like, yeah. is it just a generic colorful background or what is it exactly? Yeah. So usually what we'll design is like a, a colorful background with like a circle with their their head, you know, the, yep. the testimonial person and then a powerful quote pulled out of it. Not a super crazy long one, but you know, a powerful one to two sentence quote pulled out from the testimonial that they said. And then the body copy would probably say, hey, uh, don't forget so-and-so course or product is only open for registration through this Friday. Yep. And if you're on the fence, here's what some of my students had to say, something along those lines. Is that kind of where we're exactly. going with that? Yeah, exactly. So we talked about the abandoned cart, the testimonials ad. What other kind of ads should we be thinking about? And maybe you said it and I missed it, but during the sales cycle. So if you have any bonuses, like sometimes people will do a pop-up right. bonus in the middle of the seven day period because the middle can be the time where you lag sales. Doors are closing in 24 hours type of ad. Mm. You wouldn't say that because obviously it'd run, but like doors closing soon being like capital at the top of the body copy or in the headline or something, just like doors closing soon ad is great. The bonuses. And then, you know, sometimes people do, I mean, I recommend doing like a video of you that you test is just like cart is open. It closes this day type of video. And you mm. can run that as long as it's working for the full seven days, or you can run it for a portion of that. Quick question. What about the learning? Isn't there a phase where Facebook has to learn something before they start showing your ads? Or is that not true with the remarketing stuff? Well, it's not b before they start showing your ads, they'll still show it, but they say like, oh, it's in learning phase. I'm still learning what's converting basically, but it's not as relevant with retargeting because you're targeting this audience you chose. So you want them all to see it and Facebook's going to show it. Perfect. And do you recommend having all these different variances of ads competing to the same audience of the people who quote unquote saw the webinar, for example, or do you recommend like, you know, 
maybe having different ads show on different days. I don't know. Like, how do we work all this together? I'm curious. Do we just have them all throw, throw all these different ads at the same audience at the same time and let Facebook figure it out? Or what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, not at the same time because usually they'll run, you know, the frequency will go up and they'll usually run out of steam. So normally what we do is layer them in. So, you know, you've got one general sales ad that you maybe start with the cart is open that runs for a day or two. And then you've got a testimonial ad you can push in after that. And then you have maybe a bonus ad that happens mid launch and you push that one in. And then the whole time you do have your abandoned cart and sales page ad running only to people who have done that action, which will be small. Right. So no, you want to stagger them and you want to watch that frequency score and you want to have something at least every one to two days that you put a new ad version out. So it's like constantly fresh. And really during this period, you're just trying to be like in their face, almost top of mind. Like they cannot forget that the cart is open to your product and that it's going to close on this day. And so you want to just show up multiple times like that. Do you recommend using all placements or do you recommend customizing it for Instagram and Facebook, Instagram stories and Facebook and all that fun stuff? So right now, currently what we see working the best is automatic and Mm -hmm. letting Facebook choose the placements. It didn't used to be like that maybe a year ago, but as of now, that's doing the best. Perfect. Now let's talk about the last part of the process, which is the scale and optimize. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So in a launch, a lot of the optimizing and scaling happens like when planning for your next launch, because during it, yes, you're optimizing. But I'm a fan of having your budget pre-planned, having your daily budget pre-planned and having, you know, your audiences even all planned out, which is kind of what you have to do during a short promo window. Um, And then you're obviously scaling, you know, what's working and turning off what's not working and doing that. But Where I really focus with this step is taking the data and then comparing it to those goals that we set in step one and figuring out, okay, based on this, what do I need to improve? What worked? What didn't work? And a lot of success from launches comes from what you do in between and what you do to fix the next one. And so what you don't want to do is just be like, well, I'll just either two things that people do. They either go do the same exact launch, not changing too much and not really looking at the data of like what worked and what didn't work. Or they had a successful launch and they're like, okay, let's change everything and go do this whole different version of a launch next time, which also you don't want to do because then you're starting at square one with the testing. So you don't want to just end your launch, you know, walk away and then hope you can do it again look at the data and compare it to the goals. So I mean, like, what was the actual cost per lead that we paid? And what was the sales conversion? What was our webinar show up rate or our average watch time on our videos? Where did people drop off and stop engaging? Where did we, you know, feel like we lost people? Another thing is sometimes people will do, you know, a format like video series to webinar. Well, actually going in and paying attention, like did the buyer's sign up for the video series and the webinar? Or did 85% of them come from the webinar itself? And should you spend more money next time on that webinar? And so people, it's so critical to look at that and even look at data and the numbers. But I'm a fan of actually even diving deeper and going into the contacts who bought and kind of doing an analysis of, you know, how long were they on your list before they bought? And what was the things they did? And so that you can put your money where it works and take it away from where it didn't work, moving into your next launch or your pre-launch or what you do in between your launches, this is so critical. 
Emily Hirsch, this was spectacular. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I could keep going, but I want to honor your time. Where do you want to send people if they want to discover more about you and your agency and all the great things you've got going on? Yeah. So my website, hirschmarketing.com. There's no C in Hirsch. Everybody puts a C. So if you're listening, it's just H-I-R-S-H. Um, I have a podcast that comes out twice a week. They're like quick 20 minute, really valuable episodes. We also release a Hirsch marketing report every month that just tells you, here's what we're seeing that's working. Here's what's not working. We show you all the top converting ads um, in different industries or funnels. So you can get that insider information. Tell them the name of your podcast again. Hirsch Marketing Underground. Awesome. Emily Hirsch, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and insight with us. We're better off as a result of it. Thanks so much for having me. It was so much fun. If there was anything we mentioned and you missed it, we take all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 432. If you're new to the show, hit the subscribe button. If you're a longtime listener, let your friends know. I am at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.